HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is sponsored by Bob's Red Mill. With natural foods, they support organic, vegan, paleo, and gluten-free lifestyles. Learn more about their commitment to good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for listening. Hello, this is your host, Dana Cowan, and you are listening to Speaking Broadly. Today I am extremely excited to have someone on my show who I've admired for a really long time. In fact, last night when I was preparing for this interview, I was reading to my daughter all kinds of details about today's guest. And she was like, Mom, you are fangirling. I have never, (laughs) ever heard you fangirl before. And, you know, it's kind of true because I'm not really a fangirl by nature. But what can I say? I am so happy to have Debbie Mazar as my guest today. 
you probably know her from like something like 70 appearances in different like, TV shows and movies. She got her start in Goodfellas. She's Maggie on Younger. Um, but I actually got to know her a little bit at South Beach Food and Wine back in 2014 when she and her totally sexy husband, Gabriele Corcos. Mm-hmm. How's, how's that good? That sounds great. That's yeah. good, yeah. I'm trying to roll my tongue with that. Um, they were doing a, a demonstration because they had a TV show called Extra Virgin, um, which I think is a perfect title for you guys. <laughs> and um, and they were cooking. They had somehow entered my universe, this foodie universe. And now they have this incredible book called Super Tuscan, Heritage Recipes and Simple Pleasures from Our Kitchen to Your Table. So Debbie, welcome to Speaking Broadly. Thank you, Dan. It's so great to be here. Okay. So our lives have indeed intersected in very funny ways. Um, you know, you were at Danceteria, like, in an elevator with Madonna, who was not yet your best friend, but became one. And I was kind of on the outside. And I was shopping at Fiorucci, you know, back in the, the 70s and buying, like, I still have those clothes and the posters. It's amazing. Well, we both really love clothes. Yeah. And you were hanging out, you know, with Joey Arias, right? I mean... And selling uh, Mary Paul's jewelry there. And, the rubber bracelets, you know, the earrings... So, yeah, so there was that. Yeah. Um, And so there was this moment in time where we intersected, and then life took us in different directions. But we've ended up in this amazing food world. But I want to hear your road to this incredible food place. And, you know, it starts in New York. We both started in New York. And your mom was 15 when she had you, Mm -hmm. which I find extraordinary since I have a 17-year-old daughter. And that, you know, notion of her having a two-year-old is mind-blowing, but um, it did not sound like food was uh, part of that beginning of your life Um, too much. Well, my mother could not cook uh, at all. In fact, uh, food was a part of my life in the sense that my grandmother was a stellar cook. However, and I used to like sit on this little chair next to the sink and watch her, and I would go to the avenue with her, with her shopping cart, and there was the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker on Jamaica Avenue. And she, you know, would always, I mean, you know, the the butcher had sawdust on the floor, and she really tried hard. She had, she would make that kind of food that like, like casseroles, kind of like 1940s food. Uh Uh-huh. You know, it had like... Butter. She would say butter. <laughs> and it had this sort of like fake English accent when she pronounced certain ingredients. Um, very okay, p- I love it. Is there something about the Mayflower? <laughs> well, that's the story. I mean, it's, uh, are, we are Smith okay. on her side. And her uh, they were from Boston. And supposedly somebody came over on the Mayflower. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of people have that story. Okay. I don't know how many people fit on the Mayflower, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, but I love a good story, you yeah. know. Um, and that's what I've been told. And my grandmother, you know, very much tried to play that card. And, you know, she was, uh, she had a Masonic pin. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, I'm actually like half wasp, which people would never assume about me. No, I think the accent took a great transition over time. Oh, absolutely. And also, my hair is actually blonde. And people don't know that about me Wait, a color. It's the color of my daughter's hair, yeah. You have blonde hair. I dyed my hair like when I was in my 20s. And I've been many colors for film. Um, but the dark stuck, 
I got married as a brunette. He finds brunettes attractive. And I fear that if I let my, you know, blonde roots go and just went for it, I wonder if he'd be looking at brunettes. <laughs> well, you are such an iconic brunette. That's why I'm sitting here almost speechless, but not completely. Yeah. Um, to know that you were a blonde. I'm a blonde. But, you know, um, I feel like it fits your personality in that so many of your choices are very intentional. So you're intentionally yes. a brunette. Yes. And, you know, I've been typecast, but I figure as long as I'm working, why not? Yeah. And, <laughs> okay, and, I care. and the typecast is working for yeah. you. Your grandmother was a great entertainer, right? She loved she was. to have people over. Yeah. I mean, she set a beautiful table. She always had crystal dishes out and vintage kind of kidney bean shape pottery around filled with, you know, her version of what she thought was chic, whether it was like a liver pate or she would even like put in, inside of a celery she had some kind of like gorgonzola in, inside of celery you know and and she loved wine and to make cocktails so I got the food thing going with grandma mom kind of didn't really have that together I have a very distinct memory of when she finally became a great cook and it's when we moved up to Saugerties I was wondering because I knew you moved to upstate but I yeah. wasn't sure so Saugerties okay. so yeah that happened in the early 70s she opened up a health food store she was growing on our land, you know, vegetables and marijuana. <laughs> and um, and she became this great cook. She made, the first memory I have of something wonderful was tacos. She made, like, the best tacos. It was Mexican, but it was great. And um, I wonder so, how she even got that in her head. Well, you know, she's a New York City girl. So, yeah. you know, I, at the end of the day, you know, it's a multicultural place where we have Indian food and every kind sure. of food here. So, um but, you know, she became this great cook. And for me, I when we moved back to Queens, I always lived in a building that had, you know, black, Puerto Rican, Chinese, whatever. And I would go to everybody else's house yeah. for a meal because they had the grandmother or whatever. And there was always something smelling great in the building. <laughs> you know, when you walk into a New York City building, and you, like, especially it's funny. Like, I live in Brooklyn now and I have... Uh, I live in a house, but they're wooden houses, and there's houses, like, right next to each other. And on Thanksgiving morning, it wasn't my house that smelled. It was everybody else's, and it just, like, <laughs> was wafting into my bedroom, <gasps> you know. And uh, so I, I got the love of going to people's homes, and it really sparked my interest in uh, cooking and also entertaining. I'm a Leo. I like to party. I like having people over. I like a good discussion. And um, so as a young woman who left home early, I just started wanting to cook to entertain my friends, have them come over. So and what was your go-to dish? I'm sure you must have had one of those. Um, You know, I've always been able to obviously do pasta. Who can't? Yeah. I mean, pasta is the easiest thing to do in the world. But um, stews was my go-to thing. Okay. Always loved to make a beautiful stew, uh, you know, whether it was chicken or beef. You, know, you throw everything in a pot. Yeah, there's something very simple, very satisfying. It's homey. And it's comfort food. Yeah. So, okay, so when you were hanging out with the that like the Keith Haring crowd, yeah. What were you eating? Like I just I like I kind of need to know were you going out all the time like you were hanging um, out at the mud well, club and you know, what were you eating at 4 in the morning and then what were we you We were eating? doing coke. We weren't yeah. doing. There's, so there's no eating going on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm lying. Um I actually never really love coke. Um I we didn't eat a lot because we were I was involved in a crowd that really drank a lot of water and smoked a little bit of marijuana, and we would dance all night. We would just dance. So we would dance until the sun came up. Uh, I danced with mostly, like, gay men at, like, the Paradise Garage. 
Um, and after we were done dancing, we would generally either take the train to Jones Beach and go like cook in the sun, or we might go into the East Village and go to a place called 103. Oh my God, my favorite place. I went yeah. there every Sunday because yeah. the sausages. Yes, they were delicious. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I still mourn that place because it's actually... 2nd Avenue. Abs- absolutely. Or Kiev. Yeah, or Vesalka or one. Of, so we would go to like one of those spots that was open, you know, all night long, and have generally like eggs. Yeah, you know, they had great eggs at one. Or, or chili, or you know, uh, Kiev had this mushroom barley soup, and no one had money, so we would just kind of eat. Or we would go to Dave's Luncheonette that was on the corner of Canal and Broadway, and have like a hot dog or a hamburger with a lime ricky. <laughs> you know, and it was a total 1950s. I mean, one of my favorite places also at the time to go was uh, during the day for lunch was, um, gosh, what's the name? Dubrow's. Dubrow's was on 7th Avenue and 39th Street. And it was one of the most incredibly designed places. It was total, like, modernist space, 1950s. All the garmentos, all the old Jews worked there. They all had gangster hats. It was a place to go to get dressed up so women would actually have, like, full-on wigs, lashes, characters. And they would all come out of work. They would even travel if they were retired to come here during the day. And for $4.50, you could get, like, roasted chicken, kasha, uh, maybe a, 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 a mm, what do you call this? Whatever. You can get like a, a bunch of great stuff and jello and a cup of coffee for $4.50 and listen and, and like people watch. <gasps> that sounds divine. It was so good. It was so good. I used to live above Manganeros. Do you remember Manganeros? So I would smell every morning like garlic and sauce coming up, you know, wafting into my apartment. So, you know, it, I, it was like there's always been food around me because I've always loved to entertain. I've always lived above restaurants. <laughs> um, and, uh, and you know, for me, um, once I met my husband, I don't know if I should be segueing so I'm soon. I'm just going to, well, I'm going to ask about moving to California because okay. um, then, you know, you moved to Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, actually, I love the story of um, when you were, I think you were doing the makeup for Speed the Plow. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, Madonna would leave and Joe Montana would leave and... Yes. Uh, and um, Ron Silver would leave. And then you get on stage and, like, you know, say all the lines. And it was very all about Eve. I just, I really, <laughs> <laughs> I love that vision of the dark house and, yeah. you know, taking the stage and then uh, someone saying, oh my God, you actually, you can act. Well, it was funny just because I knew all the dialogue and I, I had always been used in people's videos. They're like, yeah, you're, you look, you look cute or you're funny or, you know, like, here, come and do this video with us. So I've always been into visual arts and never wanted to be an actor per se. Um, and then all of a sudden, after I, I started assisting in the opera doing makeup and seeing more theater and then doing makeup in the theater, I was like, wait a minute. Like, this is this is great. Like, I, I kind of want to do this. Um, I don't want to be, always be behind the camera. Like, I want to be on camera or performing and it to me it seemed really cathartic to play other people and to kind of get emotions out that might be bottled up inside of me but I could do it like through somebody else so it's like not as much not as scary yeah (laughs) (laughs) and um so yeah when I did speed the plow um actually yeah it was speed the plow not goose and tom tom um that was the one play where like I just knew every line because I had to be there every day and as I'm doing like a monologue I, I'm done, and I, it felt really good just to do it, <laughs> you know. And I, I, I saw like fake people, and, but then I, re- but then all of a sudden I heard, <gasps> "Oh my god!" 
And I went, oh my god! And 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 there was the costume uh, like lady out sitting out there, and she goes, you know, you're really really good. You should just like, if that's something you want to do, why don't you just go take some classes? And I hadn't really thought about doing that because I didn't have time. It wasn't like I, I could go to acting school. I was already on my own, having to pay rent, and I just didn't know how it would be possible. You know, I, I just figured everybody started that like you know when they have their parents' support, and that that wasn't happening. So I. I figured it out, and I, I, I went to HP Studios. I studied with uh, Marsha Halfrecht and Bill Hickey and, um, and Uta Hagen, and I, uh, you know, I found my way, you know, into classes, and, you know, I, I cleaned studios to help, you know, to try to barter first things and gave haircuts. Yeah, that's <laughs> did, amazing. Did, did people's makeup, um, and it all worked out, and then finally I decided uh, to audition for an agent, uh -huh. Um, I lied and made up a fake, very simple resume saying that I was a newcomer, but that I had done X amount of theater and blah, 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 because there was no internet. And no, no one could check you. There was no IMDB. Yeah. <laughs> you, you still were allowed to lie about your age at the time. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and I, I got an agent. I think I auditioned, uh, with a John Patrick Shanley play. Oh, yeah. It seemed like material that would be, you know, close to the cuff. And, uh, and I got an agent, and then that was the beginning of it, you know. I, I um, auditioned for Scorsese for Goodfellas. That was my first big major movie. Um, and then that kind of took me into the stratosphere of, like, Spike Lee, Oliver Stone. Started going to California, kind of doing the back and forth. And, um, and then I decided to, you know, go dip my hand after a while into television, because I grew up on TV. Yeah. I had a young mother, and I was a product of 19... Well, watching 1950s and 60s TV that was in reruns, like I Love Lucy. Yeah, oh my gosh, how, how perfect for you for inspiration. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah, with my grandmother on the black and white TV that was built into some fabulous wooden case, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and uh, you know, we used to watch like Perry Mason together, and... Um, a lot of Betty Davis movies because she would love to watch them. And I think I just, that's why I still smoke, which I'm trying to quit. But, you know, to me, it looks so glamorous. Yeah. You're pretty glamorous <laughs> without the cigarette. So I no, I know, like I know. You could probably drop that. So. I should drop it. I should drop it. But I'm actually, uh, my next project, I ha I've been told I have to smoke. Wow. Yeah. That's a really good excuse for you. Yeah. And I was going to quit before that. So I'm kind of like, oh, all right. You'll Another couple after. of months. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be too long. So um, so that brought you to, to California. And is was that exposure to all that beautiful California produce? Like, did that shift your mind? In well, the I remember visiting um, California before I went to live there. I, I visited a few times. And um, I remember just driving down uh, Sunset Boulevard and rolling up towards the Beverly Hills Hotel in the evening. And it was like the Beverly Hillbillies came alive. Like all of a sudden, <laughs> I started seeing all these Technicolor shows in my brain. And it was mind-blowing because, you know, it was like the lights that were under the palm trees and the architecture and the colors and the bougainvillea and the night jasmine. I was just completely, like, overtaken by the beauty and also the sensorial throwback to everything that I saw on TV growing up. I was right. just like, oh my God, this is great. Oh my God. <laughs> I can have avocados like in my backyard. Like 
I still miss California. I love California. I love everything about it. The whole like a net funicello surfer <laughs> movement, you know, Beach Boys. Um, I mean, I'm young. For, I'm I'm young for that era, but I just it, I loved it. It was just fun, you know. Um, growing up, you know, watching all those Technicolor movies and stuff, and then me getting behind a wheel and driving a car being a New Yorker. Yeah. I was like, woohoo, <laughs> yeah. And I just would sing my heart out and drive. And, and uh, I was friends with wonderful people like uh, Seymour Cassell, uh, Cassavetti's actor, and, um, oh gosh, Barbara Streisand's first husband, Elliot Gould, um, and different older people, men and women, that would take me around Los Angeles and say, oh my God, like this wasn't here 30 years ago and it was desert and tell me who lived where and Clark Gable was here and Carol Lombard, this was her house and, uh, you know, and I got to wear like Mae West jewelry and it was just, my whole ride there was magical because I got to work with great actors, meet great writers, go into homes that were fantastic with incredible gardens. And, you know, the the funny thing about California is that nothing is uh, really seasonal there. So you can go to the farmer's market and get strawberries year-round. And they don't taste like they do here right. or in no Italy. No strawberries. Yeah. yeah, it's like <laughs> these big, ginormous strawberries, um, you know, that taste like nothing. Uh, so there are there were some culinary throwbacks for me that I that weren't so good about California but I just love for me that in my garden I had an avocado tree that dumped like you know hundreds of avocados into my front yard where I would take some I would cover my body in a bathtub and avocados <laughs> my hair my face I gave them to all the neighbors I had baskets in the front for people to just take them I had oranges grapefruits lemons um you know, it just, it just, that's just paradise to me. That sounds like paradise yeah. to me, too. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about another paradise, which is Italy, and we're going to talk about yes. this amazing book. Um, and the delicious recipes. One of the things, when I was, you know reading the recipes I just thought I can do this like they're all so oh, direct delicious doable so come back and you're going to hear about these amazing recipes for everything from cranberries to zucchini and um, it'll inspire your uh, your next set of cooking and entertaining we'll be right back after this commercial break Bob's Red Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. One of the nice things about Bob's Red Mill is it's the only that I know of national supplier that's easily available for lots of interesting, hard-to-get grains and other seed products. So, you know, before Bob's Red Mill became widely available, you couldn't go get something like quinoa very easily or you couldn't go get spelt easily in small quantities but now you go to any one of the huge number of stores that carry bob's red mill and you can get smaller amounts of these really interesting fun things to play with learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast so many times when i try 
Hello, welcome back to Speaking Broadly, and today my guest is Debbie Mazar, and we are going to go deep, deep in the world of food, uh, and we're going to start with one of the great How We Met and Fell in Love stories, which is uh, Debbie and Gabriele. So tell me, um, what about that night when you met your husband? And Okay, so um, I... I'm a workaholic, and I decided it was time to take a vacation. So I, a friend of mine was on tour, and she said, why don't you come down to Barcelona, and we'll meet in different countries, and you can stay in a hotel close, close to me or with me or whatever. We'll have fun. I'm like, bet, done. <laughs> so I started out in Barcelona, and then I decided to go to Florence, where I had met um, a woman named Katia Lebec. She's a French classical pianist. Her and her sister, Marielle, they play uh, grand pianos together. And she's wow. been around, like, play, play with Miles Davis, like, jazz, classical, fantastic. She owns half of the Marais in Paris. Like, she's, like, a French, you know, icon who also happened to live in Florence at the time. And she said, Debbie, you must come to Firenze when you, you know, when you see me because I, I'd love to see you again and I have a house there, you'd be my guest. So I, I, I'm like, bet, okay, girl. So I, call, <laughs> as I called her up. I'm like, listen, I'm coming, I'm coming to Florence. Can I stay at your house? It was in Piazza Santo Spirito, which is a very old uh, piazza, wonderful 12th century church um, in the middle of it. And... Uh, and her townhouse had frescoes everywhere, and like the the, the 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 vines are protected by the historical society. They're like six hundred years old, and there's a long wooden table under this, you know, this uh, canopy of stuff, beautiful vines. And we would have dinners where she would put candelabras out and have like the best, you know, brunellos and blah blah blah. So I go there, and he was supposed to Gabriel was supposed to pick me up at the airport, and he my plane never showed up. Long story short, I managed to get there, and that night when he walked in, it was like sun rays were coming out of the back of his head, <laughs> and he had this big smile, and he spoke English, and he was really charming, and I was wearing um, marabou-trimmed chancletas, which are like little little like slippers that had like some marabou on. He was smoking a cigarette, and, and the, the ash fell, and like my, my shoe went on fire. Oh, no! <laughs> And I was wearing a cat. That's coup de foudre, which is um, in French. You know, it's like love at first sight. So, well, yeah, it was kind of like we giggled, and I was wearing a cat cat on a hot tin roof slip. Now I was shoeless, and <laughs> you know, surrounded by good wine, candlelight, and a cute Italian man. So I said, "Who's that guy? He's kind of great." She goes, "Oh, that's Gabriele. He's really nice. He comes from a nice family, and you know, he's he's a, a conga player." A, con a conguero, wow. Mm. So he's kind of like my Italian Ricky Ricardo because he played <laughs> Cuban music, which I always had this affinity for like, being a fake sort of Latina wannabe. And he, the next day, we were sat at a table. We were. He said, you want to go get some cigarettes? I'm like, yeah. And we went to the piazza. We got a cocktail. Ironically, it was a caperina. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, and we sat on the steps of this 12th century church and we proceeded to drink and chain smoke and... Um, talk about life. And by the time we walk back to the party, he goes, you know, you're fantastic. We should have kids together. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that, that was a little Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it didn't like, 
it didn't really hit me in that way. It was just his honesty, and he just blurted it out. And I, when we walked into the party, our dynamic changed. Where all of a sudden, I sat in the chair next to him, and I kind of like put my back up straight. And we were kind of shy all of a sudden, and it was really, really cute. It was so cute. And yeah, and then he kissed me goodnight. And because Italians kiss on both sides, I didn't know to go left to right or right <laughs> oh, to no. left. And so our our, our lips bumped into each other and electricity went through me and literally the door closed and I sank down like olive oil <gasps> like not not the little oil like like Popeye and olive yes. oil like I sank down on the floor with my legs straight out like oh my god what just happened who was that and like oh my god so the next day he was ordered to take me out and show me the town and um and he did and by the end of the day we kissed um uh near the Ponte Vecchio um, and that was the beginning of us dating. I held out for, I think, like a week. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I said, you know, I have to go to do Madonna's makeup. She fired a makeup artist, and I got to go to um, Milan to do her makeup. Would you like to come with me? And we stayed at uh, Villa d'Este. Oh, my gosh, how beautiful. Yeah, and that's where we consummated our first evening together in that beautiful hotel, oh you know, goodness. on Lake Como. And from there on in, that was like, we just fell in love. And then I asked him to come to Paris with me because Madonna still needed a makeup artist. And I said, you know what? I have an apartment to stay in of my girlfriend and Katya. And we were there for a week. And we, it was, it, that was my, kind of like my honeymoon because we saw people getting married coming out of Notre Dame. Oh it was beautiful. It was a summer. And then he said, hey, what, instead of going back to New York, why don't you come and spend the rest of the summer with me? At my apartment. And I did. And he had an apartment on his family's estate, villa. You know, very simple air place, but beautiful, beautiful land. Um, like 20,000 olive trees. And he had a really simple, rustic apartment with like wood beams. And, and he just started cooking for me. And we were playing house. And by the end of the summer, we didn't ever want to be apart again. And we never were. Like, I, I came back to L.A., I said, you know, listen, I'm like a workaholic. <laughs> you might not recognize yeah. that because yeah. I just said yes to spend <laughs> yeah. the summer with you. But yeah, American yeah. on vacation. But, right. you know, he was so great. And, and he really like his mother. He loves his mother, uh, which is a big deal for me. Um, and he between cooking, being able to fix anything like he was kind of like a renaissance man, completely a great cook. Very, very, like, strong. As skinny as that man is, he is strong. And he's a real, like, farm. He's a real farmer. So I found it very sexy. And he came to L.A. And that was it. We got pregnant. We got married. All in less than a year and bought a house. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. And then you guys did the, this internet show, which I really yeah. loved, Under the Tuscan Gun. Yeah. And um, it's, the, it's the two of you, like there's a camera, it's like obviously on a tripod or something, yeah. shooting the, and that was the beginning of your cooking show. How did you even decide to do that? And Gabriele, he wasn't really, he was a good cook, but he didn't have pretensions no. or desires to be a, a, like a quote-unquote no. chef. no. He was um, in the music business. In fact, he gave up a world tour with Shakira to be the conga player, to stay home, to be um, the dad. Because I said, I, he said to me, oh my God, I have this audition for Shakira. I'm like, I said, go for it. Because I knew that I, I'd married a musician. And I, I, I don't believe in squashing people's dreams. I knew what I was getting myself into. And I really wanted him to like pursue it. I'm like, great, do your thing. So I had the baby in my arm. And I'm like, you know what? 
it's your decision. I'm not going to like stop you, and you have my support. If that's what you want to do, you'll be on the road for two years. Ooh. But you know, maybe I can come see you. Whatever, we'll figure it out. Just go for it. And he came to me like a day later, and he goes, you know, I thought about it, and I've waited my whole life to meet the woman I love and to have a child. He goes, I don't want to miss this, so I'm not going on the road. So he didn't, and that was fine. And it was great, actually. <laughs> More and, than fine. Yeah. And he was always a very good cook. He was raised by a, a family of women that, and, and his father, who all were fantastic cooks. All of his friends are fantastic cooks. Um, he's a very rustic cook. He, he deals with simple ingredients. And um, the funny thing is, is that when we met, I tried to impress him with my cooking, and he was impressed because I make different things that are not Tuscan, that are not even Italian. But he would always take my recipe and Tuscanize it, <laughs> which is what my second book's about, basically, and make it better. Like That's, any of my stews, yeah. all of a sudden he's dumping like the meat in the liquoset thing, done much quicker with a bottle of Chianti poured into it, you know, or half a bottle or whatever. And he just always cooked better than me. So... And because I was pregnant and I was really hungry, because I used to be really skinny, I was born thin. I always was a size two. Yeah, you were, and I was petite. And tiny. I and I You're still small. Well, no, but I had I had unusually small bones. Like my uh -huh. waist was a twenty. Wow. You know, and I I I ate like a pig. I, I also exercised. I was very athletic, but we're just like you know built thin. I was anyway. So. He fed me, and I was hungry and pregnant, and I think that my body just wanted to eat everything that, like, the baby needed to grow. I Instead of having, like, a slice of mozzarella, yeah. I would take the whole damn ball. I mean, <laughs> it, it was, like, kind of gross. Like, I would pick the ball That's up. A lot. It, yeah. it, it was a lot. Yeah. But my body, I was never into milk, and my yeah. body was, I needed to build bones, I suppose. Like, I ate what I needed to sure. eat. I never liked meat. I just, I liked it here and there, but I wasn't a big meat eater. All of a sudden, I started craving, after I had the baby, steak. Go wow. figure. Hamburgers. Um, but so my husband started feeding me, and he was such, so much fun to watch in the kitchen. We put on our Cuban music, and we would dance around the kitchen. You know, he would have his beer. You know, I, and like, later in my trimester, I'd had, like, a little half a glass of wine, which totally got me buzzed. We would giggle. <laughs> and after the baby was done breastfeeding, we just kept it up. And we would just put the camera on us. Because at my wedding, he was so well-spoken. Um, he's so educated. I mean, he studied to be a, a neurosurgeon. Um, he's so well-versed in a lot of different topics that I just thought, like, you know, between the cooking and, you know, the fact that you're able to cook and talk, like, let <laughs> that's, me... That's actually unusual. Yeah. I mean... I'm like, truly. let me direct you. Let right. me direct you. Because <gasps> I had so much experience on camera. So I'm like, stand up straight. And, like, and I made fun of his pronunciation because I found it cute. Um, but the way that he's a good editor and I'm a good director and... Um, it makes a perfect pair. And we had... A, and I've always been a flea market, like, whore. So I had all of the beautiful dishes and ways to serve things. My kitchen was pretty. The way it was presented was pretty. Uh, and we just started posting it before YouTube. And once YouTube launched, we kind of blew up the internet in our own way. Like, not like Kardashian way, but <laughs> and for us, it was a big deal. And, um, and we had no publicist. And I know that I'm an, a working actress, but our story was genuine. And, and the food world embraced 
my journey into food because no actress was trying to do a show at the time with food. Um, it's true. You really came way before. Yeah. And very authentically so, which is why it's so nice today to talk about the journey from the beginning yeah. to here instead yeah. of saying, you know, hey, and you did this show because... In fact, now so many people have jumped on, like, I cook all the time, but you really. Well, it was funny because I went the to time. the last upfront at um, Food Network, the last upfront I went to as my show was ending, Extra Virgin, and they had like actors, some I'd heard of, some I hadn't, cooking, and f- four out of six of the videos were them shaking like chicken in a bag, like shake and bake. And I was like, wow, like, why? Why not have an authentic cook on or or somebody who's a plumber? Like why does it have to be like an actor or you know bring this turn it into like a celebrity thing? For me I never felt like it was a celebrity thing. Like we were trying to share culture yeah. and share family and share how to you know simplify Italian food so it's not like la 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 <laughs> like, you know like some American Italian like pizza, Frankie, Johnny, Vinny, you know, like let's put the meatballs on the spaghetti kind of thing, you know. Yeah. That's not what we aim to do. We aim to show how the Romans ate, the Etruscans ate, and really kind of share a, a cool history and also just to, you know, it was our own like journey in terms of like exploring how to feed kids. Well, we didn't know. <laughs> you know what they would like and whatever and we've been trying to like shove garlic in their food from day one just so they're you know adjusted to the taste like any culture that you know has curry or strong hot peppers or whatever I love the, that you are so attracted to the research because one could think um, you know the great thing about Tuscan food is its simplicity mm-hmm. right and that's what I love about your book is that I um, I was flipping through and found recipes to make tonight. Oh, and, right on. And because um, my daughter loves zucchini and she... Are you doing the zucchini and brie? I'm going to... No. Oh. I'm going to do the zucchini boats that have the ricotta oh, yeah, yeah. and the, the flesh and then the onion mm-hmm. sort of and then toasted with breadcrumbs and parm on top. Mm-hmm. So I can just imagine how delicious that would be. Um, You're getting me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and the... Uh, so... That Tuscan food, you could say, you live on a farm, it's very simple, you don't really need to know so much, but in fact, because um, you like the research, it informs it so much more, and because you're cooking in America, so it's not just that you were cooking in Italy and brought these recipes, like, you actually cook every day, like, I, I believe that, it's, and I should, because you do, but it's, um, it's... Such I did order pizza honest. last night. Okay, you're confessional, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, we actually, we, we, we cook, um, out of seven nights, we probably cook five. Because um, my, now my children are older, and they because they live in New York City, one wants Thai food. Of course. The other one wants Jamaican food. And, you know, and I want to eat a salad, and my husband wants to have a steak. <laughs> so we, we've come to this kind of fork in the road. Now, like really, it's interesting because trying to get make everybody happy. So, how do you resolve that? Uh, I have uh, what's it called? Caviar. Sure. You just you know, order in for. I order in. It's in New York City. It's really easy. Um, and but I don't like to do that too much because I feel like I don't want my children to think that like our house is like a restaurant where they can just like say what it is they want. I'm like, no, this is what's on the table. Yeah. And if you don't want it. You can go upstairs. <laughs> like my daughter will sometimes like go like I'm not eating this, and she'll go and rip open a box of uh, that that mac and cheese that oh, toddlers sure. eat, like Annie's. Or Annie's exactly, which is delicious actually. Yeah, I, me I too. I eat I that down out the of leftovers. the pot. Yeah, me too. Yeah. 
<laughs> after they've gone to school. But, um, you know, I, I don't like that children should be able to turn food down. I, I think it's very wasteful, and uh, they have to appreciate that there's hunger in America, not just hunger around the world. You know, hunger exists, you know, in their school. Yeah. My, my daughter would often bring food for her friends because they would come to school with candy. You right. know, not and the mon- most nutritious start no, to the day. No. Yeah. I mean, I think they've come further in terms of the school lunches, but not that much further. It's pretty gross. And so um, the dynamic between you and Gabriele in the, in the kitchen. Oh, um, my God. We have fun. So how did that play out in putting together this book? Because it's a, it's a mix of recipes. Are some of them you're really attached to and some yeah. he's pretty attached to? Or? Well, you know. The funny thing is, is that uh, because we both love food, um, some holidays, like say Thanksgiving, they're not his holiday. They don't have that in uh, in Italy, and he doesn't like white meat because in Italy, for instance, um, the chickens are much smaller, so they give the chicken wings to the cats. Oh boy. And so he was like, when he heard about like Super Bowl Sunday and like all these chicken wing recipes, he was like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, well, Americans really love chicken wings. Yeah. And so he developed, because I love to have people come over, because I love a party. I could care less about football. I like to watch the commercials and I like to see the halftime show. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, drink and have appetizers and, you know, make fun food. And so he... He just decided to, like, make a, a really good, you know, basting for, the, you know, make a nice sauce and figure out how to Tuscanize it. That's what he does. He Tuscanizes everything. So he's really, he's the Tuscanizer. He's a Tuscanizer. And um, and for me, uh, you know, like, that that's one example, the chicken wings or the turkey. He'll wrap the whole thing <gasps> in pancetta. Okay, that, okay, and anyone who's listening, you actually have to go onto Debbie's Instagram and look at this <laughs> pancetta wrapped turkey it's it so is good. a thing of beauty it's and beautiful and i have to believe it, it it's food really porn. good too it it's is good i mean it's so juicy right. and it just gives the turkey a little extra flavor because it's you know turkey by itself unless you're dumping some gravy on it can be kind of bland i mean you could take that pancetta and you could wrap a chicken with it too because anything like people get kind of bored and of turkey in it but you know turkey, we do we do a turkey moment. we do a turkey loin that's boneless uh-huh so I actually had that the night before Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm not sure why he did, chose to cook that that night, but he wrapped the turkey loin in pancetta and sliced it like a cake. Beautiful. So it was like, you know, easy to cut, easy to cook, delicious. And I highly recommend that for people's Thanksgiving that don't want to have the whole damn bird in the stove and take all that time. I think there's been a, a real movement towards, like, you know, <laughs> breast only. It's like, oh, God, those legs, and no one eats them, and they cook at a different time, and that's such a pain, and... Um, yes, I think we've become much more practical with our birds. Yeah. Um, you know, just admitting their, their challenges, the, the, the sad state of the bird. Um, and what is your very favorite um, recipe in the book? You know, people ask me that question, and I don't have a favorite. I mean, I just, I'm so, I'm hungry all the time. And I, uh, that book has just a lot of delicious things in it. I mean, there's a, there's a great stew, there's a great pasta, there's a great cocktail. I think the Boulevardier is my favorite cocktail. Um, I, I love whiskey. Uh-huh. And, and I love beer. I hate beer. I love no, my husband loves beer. Oh, he loves he beer. He loves beer. He's an IPA dude. I'm not a beer drinker at all. Funny. Yeah. I, I like, like wine. Uh-huh. I'm a wine girl. And, um, 
to, to a fault. Like I'm like, all right, there's there's so much good wine out there in the world, and it's so wonderful to drink it. But um, at the end of the day, it's like super caloric, and um, it becomes like a, a thing because I'm in the food entertaining business, whether it's acting or the food world. Like there's always want good wine around. So you gotta try it. I mean, but life is short, and I'm like, you know what? So fuck it. It makes me um, really able to say no to the bad wine. Yeah. Because I'm like, no, you cannot tempt me. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. you crappy wine at a, at, at a literary salon, no. Yeah. I can say no to that because there's so it much good It gives you wine. strength. It Absolutely. Does, it strength. Yes. Um, so what do you think the commonalities are between um, acting and cooking? Um, well, you know, it's sensorial. I mean, you know, the... There's nothing really that similar. I mean, for me, I, I, I never thought about comparing them, quite frankly. I, to me, cooking is um, a survival technique. You know, I, I grew up having to cook because I didn't like what was being put on the table, and I enjoy it. It, it, it makes me relax. Acting, for me, um, is it's not so much about my ego, but it's, it's something that I really like doing. It's my job. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I get... A thrill out of it, for the most part, um, it 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 makes me laugh. It inspires me. It makes me think. Where food nurtures me and it takes me on vacation. Acting takes me on vacation too because I get to make money and then I can go on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, it's funny because at the set we have probably the worst food. So I, I don't put acting and food together. It's funny because now. Since I've had a, a cooking career, I guess over a decade now, people always write it into the scenes that I'm cooking. Like, oh, you know, Maggie on Younger is right. a stellar cook. She's always got a wine glass in her hand, yeah. and she's always cooking. I think Darren Starr also really loves wine. He loves good food. Yeah. So that's just part of it. Um, but, you know, it's all a celebration of life. It's, and so is acting in terms of the fact that it's like, you know, it's celebrating emotions. It's putting it out there so people can relate and 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 feel like they too can process a, a good feeling or a bad feeling that they're not alone. Um, so I think in the, in the times that we're living in, I think that food is really comforting, alcohol is really comforting, and entertainment is really comforting because you. I woke up this morning and there was so much bad news on that. Like I, that's why I, I like to you know like binge watch shows now i it's, i find that a very very wonderful luxury i'm with you and uh and i like binge watching with a bowl of popcorn so yeah. that's that's my yeah and so working with um your husband i obviously you guys have so much fun together but is there anything about the two of you are both leos and you know is oh, he's there, not a leo he's a libra there, he's a libra but you both like to have but you both like um being in the spotlight to some degree does that create any challenges? Oh, no. No, because we're very different. Um, he actually never thought about being in the spotlight. Uh-huh. I kind of threw him into it, and he, he's good at it. He's really good at it, um, and he likes to tell a story, but it's never a problem because he accepted who I was. Mm-hmm. I was I'm a Leo. I was very out there. I was a celebrity before I met him. He didn't even know who I was. When, when, not that I'm anybody, but he That's didn't know. It's kind of charming, though. Yeah, it was great. He didn't, like, <laughs> know my acting stuff. And, like, his friends were like, she's, she's that girl from Goodfellas. Like, you know, but he didn't, he wasn't really, like, you know, watching films and TV very much. I mean, he did on his own, his own stuff, but uh, different taste. Um, he, it's never been a problem. He lets me be who I am. He lets me, you know, 
uh, sparkle. He never puts out my fire. I think if he did, I couldn't be with him. And the same with him. Like I, I let him shine. He, he's like, you know, we're, we're two pretty happy people. We're, we're both type A personalities and working together can be very challenging. Um, especially since I'm very vocal about how I produce things. And I'm also a tough New York bitch who's like, knows where the budget's going. So I often have to, uh, call people on stuff and be the one where he's a little bit more polite he grew up as a good a mama's boy, and he went, you know, to to military school. Uh, he's he's better than me in some ways because he's, he learned he knows how to hold his tongue, and I don't. <laughs> so we balance each other, but I'm usually the bad guy, and he's the nice guy, and and he also has helped me to have more patience. He's taught me how to be more patient. I still always have one eyebrow up. <laughs> That's the new if I don't have you. Botox, I can raise my <laughs> eyebrows. Um, I I really am one of those people that just like I'm like wait a second, you know, and I I know the hustle, yeah. and I respect the hustle, but at the same time, don't hustle me, right? You know, so because I really want to put the money into the product, into the production on the screen, um, and and that has been hard in a marriage working together doing a show where we've had to shoot in our own home whether it was California or Tuscany, have people involved in my business, having a network use my children on screen, um, how to protect them, how to say, "Uh uh-uh, I have final cut, you know, and to exercise my place that I've earned. Um, And it's been really, really fun, but not easy because I really always wanted to put the right thing out there and not make it about reality or some schmaltzy little road trip show or whatever like I just I always have respect for the quality of what I'm putting out there and what I'm what my voice is because it's out there forever it is and I (laughs) I I took you know such a luxurious bath in your in your past you know all (laughs) all parts of it as I said at the top of the show just you know luxuriating it and sharing it with my own daughter to say look how inspiring um you know this way of life is that you and your family lives and oh, how you share you. it with with people and um it's I'm, only a peak really you know what I mean I know it's like a little yeah. piece of the curtain I'm sure yeah. you pull the curtain back more and oh it's not so pretty m- <laughs> all the time more. um but thinking about family which is at the really at the core of sort of everything you do because you um, you love to entertain, but you also love to create the sense of family, mm-hmm. family and friends, and then the Italian family and the New York yes. family. Uh, what are the sort of the words of wisdom that you would share as your last thought here that really the words of wisdom you'd give to your daughters, you know, the way to, to live your best life? Well, I think you have to, you know, choose your path wisely. Don't waste time in things that don't really matter, Uh, whether it's love that's not going well or issues at work or if you don't like it, move on, figure it out. There's no time to waste. Uh, Be strong, have balls, uh, do what makes you happy, you know, Um, eat well, take care of your health, and uh, if you want to, like, see something in the world, just go see it. Because there's no time. Figure it out. There's always a way to figure it out. It's not about money. There's always a way to do something. Um, and, you know, and, and choose, you know, choose your, choose your, make your choices wisely because, some, you know, and your words, because you can't take certain things back and you can't, 
once you have kids, that's it. You have kids. Like, you can't change that. <laughs> um, and you want to, you know, choose your mate carefully, your lover, whatever, your partner. Um, but just have fun. Enjoy life because we never know. Yeah. I love the notion of time. And one thing that struck me... Um, well, I'm a catastrophist, by the way. Oh, what does that mean? Oh, it means that I'm paranoid about everything. So I'm like, I got to live my life. I have to live it now and without fear. I'm, I'm afraid of a lot of things. I'm a bit of a catastrophist. I think it comes with hormones, to be honest with you, huh. or with children, of uh-huh. loving people so much that you worry all the time. Right. Um, so your, your notion of time is actually um, stretched throughout the book, which intrigued <laughs> me, because in your lessons to the reader... You're saying, don't waste time. Or I do this because you it's not going to waste time. Like, put your utensils out on the counter. Don't waste time looking for them in your drawer. Right. You know, and I just think that that's, I love it when someone's um, philosophy penetrates every single part of their life. Oh, so yeah. It's like, where, you, where are the jewelry? Don't put it in the safe. Right. Like, it's, just who's going to get in the safe? Right. No, yeah. you got to, like, same thing with the, the things in the cupboard. Like, get rid of all those fucking spices that you don't use. Like, I have, like, 20 cinnamons and 20 cloves. Like, get rid of stuff and just, or, or use the stuff. Like, just use the things that you have. Yeah. Okay, so, um, my dear husband, if you're listening, so I can throw out everything in that spice drawer, right? Because it's all... <laughs> It's probably old. It's old. It's half yeah. dead. It's true. Um, well, with not the thought of half dead, but the make the most of every moment, I want to say thank you, Debbie, for joining that us. Was so on, much fun. On Speaking Broadly. I want to thank um, David Tadashore, the amazing engineer, Carlin for being the best um, listener ever. And Debbie, if people want to find you, where would they find you? Um, on Instagram, uh, Debbie Mazar, at Debbie Mazar, D-E-B-I-M-A-Z-A-R. The same thing with Twitter. Um, and, uh, or, you know, on some random station <laughs> or on the New York subway. <laughs> and you can find me, Dana Cowan, at FW Scout. And as always, send your thoughts my way. If there's people you would love to hear me interview or comments or questions, um, I love, I actually love real mail, but I also love, you know, DMs on Instagram. So have a great week and we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.